0: We believe that, Lord. So we thank you, Lord, for everything that you're doing for us through your word. We open our hearts and ears to receive your holy word because it increases our righteousness that we might do your will without fail and bring in the reward that you have for us because of your word in us. In Jesus' name, amen and praise God. So I'm going to talk today about the fact that we are God's workmanship, and what that really means and how God is molding and shaping us to do his will. Amen. Uh, and before we knew the Lord, we couldn't do the will of God because we didn't have the power to do it. That's the whole thing that's been missing was the power. Uh, When we got born again, that was an empowerment that came into our lives. It wasn't just a prayer that we prayed and then we got saved. And now we're out of danger kind of thing. Uh, As we grow in God, we begin to understand exactly what God's doing uh, in the work that he's doing in us. And so it's always good to keep yourself understanding and participating in what God's doing in your life. Uh, we don't have to be um, um, what we call uh, spectators in the, the process of God. And in the things of God. And in what God's doing in your life. He saved you for a reason he saves everybody for a reason you're not here sitting on a shelf waiting for that day when you cross over to be with the lord but we are his workmanship which means that he is creating molding shaping reshaping he's always molding and shaping us and so we we need to grasp that you you know i'll see christians quote unquote get bored with their life in God and then drift off and do nothing or drift off and quit going to church and and then you meet them years later. Oh yeah, I used to belong to a church and I used to do this and it's always a past. But if they understood that God is still working on them and be encouraged by the fact that no matter if it seems like anything's happening or nothing's happening to us, nothing's happening spiritually, naturally, wherever you inspect to see if something's happened, you have to live by faith and believe that God is yet working on us. What is He working on? He is conforming us to the image of Christ. He is remaking us in His image. He is encouraging the Christ life in us to get stronger and stronger. So he is working to make us stronger in him, not weak to the elements of the world, but stronger in him. And so when, when we understand that there is a strengthening that's coming to us, there is an empowerment greater that's coming to us when there are greater things that God has ordained for us to do, then we'll be more encouraged to submit to His working in us. And it's not something that we do ourselves. You couldn't plant, you couldn't write this movie if they paid you good money to do it. The script of your life you cannot write. Your life is hidden with Christ in God, and only God has the answers. God has the keys. God has the master plan. God has the blueprint. God has the schedule. He knows when he's going to give you certain things, when he's going to reveal certain things to you, how he's going to do it. You know, I'll hear people say things like when they come into a knowledge of something about God. I wish I had known this 10 years ago. Well, you wouldn't have done anything with it. Because you're not in charge of the schedule. Now, revelation can be like that. You can you can think you know your carnal mind. Will, God will reveal something to you that maybe you've been puzzling you for a while, and then your carnal mind will grab it. Well, it's a fine time to be finding that out. If we could have found that, that's your carnal mind criticizing what God does, and if you listen to that thing, it's going to rob you of the now revelation that God has for you. Like I'll tell people, people say things like, you know, uh, God showed me so and so and such and such. And that's why I keep putting off doing X, Y, and Z. I said, it's fine to get that revelation. I said, but now you got to implement it. I said, the hard part's about to start. And that is putting what you know into practice so that you get rid of the bad habit that's kept you behind all this time. You got me? And so, and sure enough, they'll rejoice in the revelation and then walk away like they never heard it before and go back to the old habits. going beating your head up, beating you, beating yourself up because you don't do it. God told me I should do this and I haven't done it yet. God's been dealing with me. God's been working on all the nonsense we talk instead of learning how to embrace what he reveals to us by faith and then expect him to start commanding you to put it into operation. It does no good if we don't follow our faith with works of obedience to what has been revealed to us. Amen. It's like people will say things like, well, you know, I struggled with my weight all these years and God finally showed me such and such and so. And so I say you better embrace it and hold on to it because that bad habit is right around the corner. Ready to let and then sure enough, what they get is they fall right back into the You know, old habit. And so this is always a fight. I don't care what it is that God reveals to you. It is a fight to hold on to it. And so we have to be more engaged in the fight than in the revelation. It's like he'll reveal to you the key to receiving healing. But you're going to have to fight to get it. It's not going to be easy every day. It's not going to be hard every day. It's going to be the day that he makes for you to rejoice and be glad in what he's doing. But it's not going to be like every single day is a, is a a uh a complete uh, improvement or it won't happen around the corner tomorrow. You can receive revelation and feel like you got it and and you you're possessing it and then before you know it it's slipping away from you again. So the the real test is in your day-to-day commitment to what he's revealed. What's he revealed to you? You've got to commit day to day to day to hold on to what he's revealed. So in Ephesians chapter 2, we have our scripture. And in verse 1, it says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. So God has made you alive. He has quickened you. Or he has given you spiritual life. Amen. Because you were already alive naturally, so it couldn't be Talking about natural life. He's made you alive in something else. And he says here. um, God is rich in mercy. And he says. By grace you are saved through faith. That's verse 8. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship. In other words. Uh, so you don't get to bragging on how much revelation you have and how easy it is for you to preach and what your big crowds are. Understand that you are his workmanship. So anything good that your ministry brings into your life or your ability brings into your life, anything good, you cannot boast in it. Because he's the one working in you and working with you to accomplish anything that you get. So that takes the pressure off of us to perform. It takes the pressure off of us to have to be responsible for seeing to it that the answer comes in. We're His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under good works which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Good works. That he has before ordained. So he's ordered everything that you ever do in your life that's good. It's already been ordered up into your life. So there's nothing that you can add. You can't come up to God with some bright idea about how you're going to revolutionize the world of ministry. You understand? I mean, if you do that, it's because it's a foreordained work. It might be new to you, but it's not to God. And so God will, will help us to keep an understanding that he is in control of our lives. Anytime he wants control back, he can get it from us. But he likes to have us cooperate with him. Because it ain't no fun to have God wrestling with you for the things of life. So he wants us to be cooperative with him. That's why he explains these things to us. Amen. And and Paul reminds them of a time when they were without Christ. Amen. Having no hope and without God in the world. And so we're now made close to him by the blood of the cross. So that God can reconcile himself to us. That word reconciliation means there's nothing left for us to have to do to get God. I mean, we got a zero balance. There's no debt. You ever get a credit card bill and they say amount due zero? I know we don't get them too often, but, you know, it's possible. Amen. And so you look at it and the first thing that goes through your mind, what can I put on here now? Sometimes we're so used to debt. Amen. But you feel good. You feel good about not having a balance for about 10 minutes and then your mind starts to wander. (laughs) It's true. Think about all the times you paid off debt and you back in debt again. You got me? So it's true. Amen. It's just true. Don't sit up there and act like I'm talking to somebody across the street. It's true. Amen. Amen. You might need that credit for something. You understand what I'm saying? So, so live with your zero balance for a good season and let God, you know, see that you, you can be peaceful with it and don't let the devil agitate you about it or anything like that. But, but God wants us to be people who can live in peace with him because we don't owe him anything. See, there's nothing owing between us. only thing we owe God is to love Him. Amen. And to love our neighbor as ourself. As those are the commandments. And so when we understand what God wants from us, then we can cooperate with Him. We can participate in what God's doing. We can do our part. Amen. But our part is not to try and run this thing ourselves. You would no more know how to run kingdom business then you would you know draw ride an uh fly an airplane if you haven't had adequate training, and so we're the same way in our lives. We have to submit to the fact that we are his workmanship He is yet working on us He is conforming us to his image <clears throat> so God has made us alive in Christ that we might grow in him. everything that has life grows. Everything that has life grows. Verse 4 tells us that God expects us to increase in his grace. He says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. For by grace you are saved. Amen. Amen. So, it's, grace is divine permission, divine ability, and it's, it's really divine permission to use divine power. So grace really enables you to use God's divine power. You know, it's so easy to put yourself back in works again. The fact that you can minister to people is not because you're perfect and you have good behavior all the time or perfect attendance in church. You can't earn the grace of God. You just have to learn how to expect it and work with it. You see what I'm saying? And so when you understand what that is, it's that divine ability. It enables you to think the thoughts of God. It enables you to do the works of Christ. It enables you to do every single thing that you need done in life. Even natural things can be done so much more powerfully by the grace of God. Things that you, you don't even understand how they happen. But God just happens to have you involved in them. And you can see the mercy of God and the glory of God in in your life. In in everything in your life. Uh, Everything from from, uh, favor... In the, uh, supermarket. I don't know, it, it never fails. If I'm waiting in the supermarket and there's long lines, they'll open a lane right beside me and the guy will say, come, you can come over here. You'll be the first customer in this line. I said, thank you very much. Cause I've already asked God to, to bless me and my day is set. So I don't have to stand there and get angry and frustrated and, and act like I'm not a Christian, you know, and go through that temptation. But God has blessed and favored me. So when other people are complaining, rolling their eyes and stewing, I can stand there in peace and in contentment. And, and if if they don't open up another lane, I'm still cool. You understand what I'm saying? So, But I use my faith for that. You know why? Because I want my faith to be involved in my life all the time. It's not that I'm trying to prove anything, or I'm better than these people, or I'm not waiting. I'm a child of God. That's so stupid. You know, if you really think about how stupid that is, you make yourself self quit thinking like that. And just depend on God's mercy. Well, God, if you want me to stay here in this line, it's a reason for it. But, Lord, I'd like to have your blessing and your favor. And then it opens up favor for other people. Because there are other people that are waiting and tired, too, just like you are. That need to be blessed that way. And so there's just all kinds of ways to look at who we are, but, but we are God's workmanship and He's constantly working on us to realize we are blessed to be a blessing. Amen. You can be a blessing by decreeing God's favor in your life and let the overflow bless other people. Amen. Amen. Or let somebody else get in line before you sometimes, you know, and show God that you're, you're not trying to put yourself above people you know but you're a door you are are the key to a door that gets opened up to favor for you and for everybody else amen so um, we are to increase in the grace of God amen so by grace we are saved and he has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus amen So by grace we are saved through faith, that's verse 8, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So whatever you receive as God's workmanship, it is the gift of God. Your good behavior won't earn it for you. Now that is not to say go behave bad and make God bless you anyway. You're to behave him because that's the best way to live. You know, cause pretty soon you'll get stupid out there misbehaving and assuming it's okay with God. So you don't want to cross that line. You want to be obedient because of the joy of, of pleasing the Father. You want to, you want to please Him with obedience. You don't want your own way all the time. And you don't want to have to always be correcting yourself because you refuse to allow God to work things out for you. See, if we'd let him do it, put it before him and let him do it before we know it, the deed's done. But we spend so much time stewing and fretting and fussing and fighting and, you know, unrenewed mind. Carnality in your mind, you know. Always let your mind go along with what your spirit is commanding that you do. Don't let your mind be your enemy in the enemy of your spirit man let your mind calm down and quit talking to you and you quit listening so that you can obey god without the the drawback you know what i'm saying is being double minded you know like I'll, I'll i'll people will say things like when something bad happens well i knew that was going to happen how'd you know that I thought you were in faith and believe in God for something better. You see? But see, we'll pray and we say we believe God and then we watch with a carnal mind to see if something negative happens or not. We can stop doing that to ourselves. Amen? We really do have to stop doing it. And many times that false prophecy thing is riding in us and we just want to be right. And so you'll take a hit to your finances or take a hit to your relationships, take a hit to your relationship with your family just to prove on the inside of your head that you're right. You see what I'm saying? You can watch yourself because if you can line up spirit, soul, mind, and body and operate as a unit obeying God by His Spirit. You'll be far more content. You'll be far more consistent. You'll be far, you won't be sweating small things all your life. You'll be able to, to leap over the small things and then, then be prepared to fight bigger battles for God. So when He says we're His workmanship, He's working on us. To master these little small emotional things, you know, that, that will still plague us after so many years of serving God, that still haunt us, you know, uh, these kinds of things where, where you know you should be doing better, but you, yeah, well, whatever, you know, you think something more challenging, you're going to flunk the more challenging if you don't do the small. So we are his workmanship. If he's working on these things, we gotta cooperate with him. And when we get keys to understanding and how to cooperate with him more, pick up those keys and use them. Amen? Pick those things up and use them. Fight. To, 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 uh, keep letting negative comments ring in your ears, you know? The worst thing in the world is to sacrifice the goodwill of God just so you can say you knew this was good, you know, you knew it, you know, something, you knew something. Or, or you, you have to be right about something, you know? I don't care about, you know, people, people say things like, well, I don't think that's gonna work. Well, I don't care what you think. I'm going to try it anyway. You understand? But see, then you rejoice because you were right. So it's wrong. It's wrong. Because it doesn't matter who's right and who's wrong. See, if that's your issue, you got to go back to the cross and find out what the cross was all about. Because I'm still trying to find the will of God. I'm trying to find something that's going to work to get the problem solved. You're still struggling over who's right and wrong. Got me? So the higher way to live is to live in the realm above striving over right and wrong and live in the realm of possibilities in God. Cause we could both be wrong, but we haven't solved anything by finding that out. We still have to find the plan of God and the will of God for the things we have to do. And so don't always want to win every argument and be right and be held up as the person who knows everything. You're not that person. That person's God. Just because you don't know or understand something, it doesn't make you less of his workmanship. Amen. Nobody knows everything. Amen. So you're still his workmanship, whether you get everything right or not. You're still his workmanship, whether he's still working with you for what you think are petty things or small things. Amen. Learn how to cooperate with God. You have no clue where you're going in God. You don't know what the road is up ahead. You don't know what he's working out in you. You have no clue. And so we have to submit to being God's workmanship, whether we have all the answers, whether we cooperate and want to agree with everything, whether we understand or not, we are still his workmanship. So we are called to work with him, to do works that are already ordained for us to do. You have no clue what they are. You have no clue what they are. You have a general idea. For instance, we all know we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But who you're going to meet, when you're going to meet them, and how it's going to work out, you have no clue. Amen. Now you may get up one day and decide you're going to go to the store. And while you're in the store, God will have you strike up a conversation with somebody. Or somebody will stop you in the aisle and ask you something. Or whatever it is. Understand in that asking, don't keep your mind focused on what you're looking in that aisle for. Get your mind out of what you think you're here for and start understanding that God has you here for a reason. You got me? See, there's no reason why we can go out as a group and witness to people and you can't witness to somebody in your everyday except you're not focused on being his workmanship. See, you're not focused all the time on him cuz see what we do is we get in that little safe little cocoon You know, once we get in our daily routine, our normal routine, like with your neighbors and with you, and you keep your mind focused on things of the world instead of I'm God's workmanship. God, I'm open to witness to my neighbor. I'm open to mention or I'm open if they give me a problem, I'll offer to pray for them. That's so easy to do. It's pathetic that we don't do it more. You see what I'm saying? Because the door is always, everybody's got problems. Everybody's got a complaint. Everybody's got something going on that that needs adjusting in their life. But if we will remember that we are his workmanship and he has already ordained our good works, you can take a hint from the Bible. If he tells you you're to be a witness to him everywhere, you're going to be a witness to him. Even with your neighbors who don't seem to want God or want anything from God, you're still a witness to them. So you've got to let him mold you, mold your thinking, into believing that you're there to win those people to Christ. And that's your main reason for being there. It's not for your personal comfort. It's not for you to just go home and sleep every night. you are there as a witness because you you have I witnessed the goodness of God, so you got to testify to that. You can't help what you've witnessed, but you can do with what you witnessed you can do God's will with what you witnessed, and so you have to stay open at God, I am your workmanship. And yeah, I don't want to rub my neighbors the wrong way. And I don't want to seem like a religious fanatic. You're far from it. Because if you've never mentioned Christ to him, you are far from a religious fanatic. You got me? And you let God handle what his workmanship creates. His workmanship creates what he wants. Amen? It's just like your car can't be responsible for running off the road if you're driving it. You can't be responsible for what happens with the words that you give under the unction of the Holy Spirit. Because you're His workmanship. He puts you together. He put you in the place where you are. He puts words in your mouth for people so that you can testify to His goodness. Amen? You can testify to His mercy. You can testify to His Power. This is all good news to people, folks. It's never bad news, but it's always good news. So God's good works are foreordained. Huh? Well, when I lived in the last place I lived in, I witnessed to people all the time. Well, same. it's on the same place it is. It's the same thing here. You know, you haven't changed. He's still working in you. You're still his workmanship. Your neighbors are still going to hell if they don't find out about the Lord. Once they find out about the Lord, then your your job's pretty much done. You keep praying for them to come in and to show some signs of encouragement in God. So the foreordained works cannot be changed. You can't say like, well, I would witness to people here, but this is a hard area to witness to people. You still got witness to them. Got me? Hard area or not, somebody's responsible to work the hard areas. And what would you call easy? <laughs> uh-huh. <clears throat> See, everybody wants to keep recycling Christians over and over again. You know, bring some more deadbeat Christians in here that really don't want God either. You know what I'm saying? So the foreordained works cannot be changed. For God has placed us where he wants us to be. Can we re- can we move about freely and do what we want? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. We must be about the Father's business because we are an army, and we only obey orders and march in place. So we have to obey the orders of God. We have to continually march in place. And allow him to put one foot in front of the other. And that's how we live. Every single day you live. It's one foot in front of the other. Obeying the master's plan. Our work in Christ really is mostly allowing God's grace to transform us so that we can do his will. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12, it says, be ye not conformed to this world. So in other words, you already got some of the world in you. So what he says is, don't sit still and let Spiritual things pass you by, and you just sit there and conform and not fight it, and not say, Well, God, this isn't the way you want me to go i'm going to resist this thing right here i'm going to quit doing this over here, and i'm going to do more for you today. See everybody wants to do it. it's you know well, when I get this and when I get that, and when I've done this and when i've done that when I that. that never happens well, Jesus said uh uh-uh. follow me right now you know to the young man that had a lot of wealth jesus said you know he told he came up to jesus bragging on all the things that he did right and jesus said you still lack one thing it's always one thing we lack i don't care what you think in your mind is so great about you and god you're always going to be lacking one thing Amen, And that's going to be the secret thing that God hasn't revealed to your little carnal mind while you're sitting there patting yourself on the back. You know, you stretched your arm out of joint trying to reach back there and pat yourself. While you're doing that, stop by and ask the Master <laughs> what He wants you to do and what what you need to submit to Him in so that you can be more effective for Him. So our work in Christ is mostly allowing God's grace to transform us according to his will. Amen? The same grace that saved you continues to shape and mold you. Amen? Sometimes it has to break something in you and let some impurity spill out. So that God can fill you up, then he can restructure you according to his will. There's all kinds of of analogies to God's shaping and molding. But he does not build on a foundation of sin, iniquity, or disobedience. He must build on a holy foundation. So he builds on a pure foundation, a foundation <clears throat> in the word. So in, uh let me see, that was Ephesians 2, we got there, and in, why don't we go to Acts chapter 3, we'll see a foreordained work that people kind of look at and wonder about. Verse 1, Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, who they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. So he was a beggar because he was lame. He couldn't work. Who seeing Peter and John about to go in the temple, asked them for money. And Peter, fastening his eyes on him with John, said, look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. So this man was in expectation of something. Faith is more expectation of good than it is desiring something specific. How many of you have prayed for something and then God kind of switched it up a little bit and gave you something, gave you basically what you asked for, but kind of surprised you a little bit with something more because you were desiring it. See, I don't necessarily agree or disagree with what people teach us about being specific about what you ask God for because he still wants to do more than we can ask or think. And so the prayer works both ways. You can be specific, but sometimes you can ask and say, well, God, I just trust you, whatever I need. I was speaking with somebody yesterday and they, they said, she said, you know what? I've learned how to just really trust God. I said, yeah. She said, she said, I've gotten to the point where I said, God, you know our need, whatever I need. She said, and I said that the other morning. I knew what we needed. She said, and before I even finished, she said, a friend of mine called me and told me she was on my way over to my house with some the exact same thing I needed. So, so there's always a higher place of trust in God. You see what I'm saying? So that because many times if we ask, we can ask amiss. You know, sometimes people will ask for things so specific that, you know, it, it makes it difficult to expand your understanding of what the request might be. Because see, even though you may speak it and it might be, uh, inspired by God, it doesn't have to be as detailed sometimes as we want to make things. Now when you're new in the faith and, and you, you, you're ashamed of asking, let me put it to you that way. Cause there is a shame that we have sometimes. It hits people all the time. People come up. Whatever They have something in specific in mind when they get to the altar. Whatever God has for me. Well, you liar, you knew what, whatever got you up out of that seat. Something came into your mind when you got up. And don't let the devil steal it from you through shame. Because he'll hit you at the altar. You, you won't even make it up to the altar from your seat before he'll throw an errant thought to you. So we have to learn how to not be ashamed of making our requests before God. You know, you you don't want to carry shame into the to the altar with you, and let demons hang on you, and start, you know, um, making you ashamed of your desire, making you ashamed of asking. You got me. You know, there are times when when I'll tell God, I said, "Well, God, I don't know if I want to be married," and then I said, "Well, wait a minute, let me change that." <laughs> you understand what you've already ordained it. You know what I'm saying. So you don't negate. Your faith. And then some people are very bold in their asking. They don't care who knows. You know, they've gotten beyond the shame that the devil brings because of the one thing that he does, he'll make you think you're not going to get it. See, that's one way doubt works. It works through shame. And so you, you'll be ashamed to ask because you don't know if you're going to get it. You understand? Well, when you come to the altar, you should know you have it already. You got me? You should know you have it. And so as God works those doubts out of us, cause we are his workmanship, when he finds doubt on us, he gotta work it out. Amen? Or it will hinder what we're expecting him to do. And so you, you, you'll have to understand. See, you gotta trust God. If he told you he's gonna give you something, it's gonna be right. Amen? You gotta trust him that if he promised you something, it's gonna be the right thing for you. So if you got any fears and any doubts still lurking on the inside of you, amen? See, I've lived long enough by myself. You know, it's different from women and men. Yeah, I lived long enough for myself. I said, I could cruise pretty easy. You know, you always think stuff like that to yourself. Why? Because you know you could. But God, my life would be better if. You got me? It can always get better. So you always want the better that God has for you. Amen? It's been a long time since I had somebody to book for stuff. So you know what I'm saying? Let's work that stuff out, God. Come on. I'm your workmanship. Amen. So you, you know, you have to think on the, think on the bright side, folks. Amen. Praise God. Amen. So, (laughs) amen. So anyway, we have to be bold and confident enough to allow the mercy of God to work in us. By letting go of what we want in our flesh and submit to the higher thing that God has for us. Some of the things that bug us is fear of man, you know? Sometimes you think, well God, I do want to be married again, but I don't want nothing, you know, but you know, I know God better than that, so you know. Crazy people stay so far away from me after all these years. It's like, you know, it would be hard to attract anybody at this point that's, you know, not up to God stuff. You know, I mean, seriously, cause my life is so programmed by God by now. You know, it's, it's really hard. Like God will find a way to cause that person to reject you or repel you because they just don't fit. You know, even if you want to deceive yourself into thinking that this is the person and God knows they ain't right, he'll cause something to happen and bam, the whole thing explodes, you know, or they get scared and run off. (laughs) I've had that happen many times, but you know, that's a whole different story. But, uh, you know, there, there is that, that no mess up aspect of having submitted to his workmanship. So that nothing stupid fits in your life anymore, which is a nice place to rest in. Not that I couldn't mess my life up, but it would be yay hard. You know what I'm saying? Yay hard. Uh, some of the things that I've committed to God over the years, it, it, it would be, you know, challenging, you know? So, and don't anybody try to say, well, who does she think she is? I don't know. It's about my trust in God and the things that I've committed to him throughout my life you know it's it's a no mess up situation so you know and i thank god for that i do because i've learned to trust him and trust what he wants for me and to trust his will so anyway um so we must be bold and confident enough to allow the mercy of god to work in us by letting go of carnal desires material things you understand what i'm saying you don't need to be still praying about uh you know houses cars and that god knows what you want he knows what he's got scheduled for you you see so he'll mold your faith so that you can receive what he has for you if you'll let him do it It's all about letting him do it. And many times we run out and do it ourselves before we give God a chance to lead us to what he has for us. He knows all of that. So these things are foreordained for us. Amen. They're foreordained in such a way that you don't have to always um, look to correct things in your life. You know what I'm saying? You, You know that they'll fit. You know that they're right. Uh, you don't have any complaints about them, any qualms about them. Uh, you just accept God's will and, and you live peacefully but with you and God. So here Peter and John have met this man and God they tell him to look on them and he's looking to receive something. So they say silver and gold, I don't have. Now at that point, that man could have stopped expecting However, he didn't. Amen. So when you find out that the thing you thought you were expecting is not available to you, don't quit expecting. You got me? Keep expecting. This is, see, you gotta look at this for everybody. Look at that scripture, please. And so you can know what we're talking about here. You look at the word and you'll understand it. Amen. It says, Verse 5, this man gave heed to them. He looked at them expecting to receive something. He gave them his attention expecting. And they said, silver and gold we don't have. Did he quit expecting? Obviously not. And see, this is where you win or lose your healing, your miracle, whatever it is. Is when you go expecting and you don't hear what you think you want to hear. Huh? Because you're looking. See, you're his workmanship. You think you need this and God wants to fix you up with that. That he has planned for you. That is so much more needful for you. This man was never expecting to be healed. He was never expecting, he might have expected it at one time, but instead of being in the temple where he could get help and get prayer, now he's outside the temple. So you can know, you see where his faith is. His faith is in people supplying his need. It's not in God supplying his need anymore, but God wants to shift his faith back to trusting him. And so he says, silver and gold have I none, but I do have something to give you. So whenever you receive a quote unquote disappointment from God, say for instance you expect your symptoms to go every day and they're still there, you're going to get something from him if you keep expecting. You don't cut off your expectation because it didn't happen in the time allotted by you. You keep your expectation. Because it will happen. If you're trusting God for it, it will happen. And he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Well, that's better than money. Did he ever think he would get anything better than money? There's all kinds of things better than what we think we want from God. There's all kinds of things better than what we've, we've had in the past. And probably still expect to get in the future. There's all kinds of better things for us if we'll just learn how to trust God. See, the better thing could be something that you get without debt. The better thing could be something that you receive that's a result of years and years of prayer. And not seeing it come to pass for many years. Um, the other night I shared in a Facebook post a prophecy God gave me. I'll have to share it with you, Miss Juana, because I know you're not on Facebook. But God was saying the reward of the faithful. Can you close the door, Mr. Gary? The reward of the faithful is in the land. That he's going to reward faithfulness. Amen. And so when we see things like that, that's time for your ears to shoot up. Because if you've been faithful to God, that's you. Well, you might say, well, I don't know if I've been faithful or not. Well, ask God if you have. Expect a reward anyway. Well, God, I hear you rewarding faithful people. I'm not sure if I'm in that bunch, but I'm receiving it anyway. The little bit I've been faithful in, I'm thanking you for rewarding me for it. And just allow God to continue to work on you. Allow him to continue to mold and shape you. Allow him to continue to make you into what he wants you to be for his glory. Amen. That's how he gets glory. When, when he has full reign in our lives. And so they told that man get up and walk. This was something that they were foreordained to do for this gentleman. And there you think to yourself, well, Jesus went in the temple beautiful all the time. He never healed him. Jesus wasn't foreordained to heal this man. Everything that Jesus was foreordained to do, he did. You can't take another person's work and put it on somebody else. I can't make somebody do what God has called me to do. You can't make anybody do what God has called you to do. You have to do your own work in God. Because he is forming us, molding us, and shaping us so that we can do his will. So they were foreordained to heal this man. He was foreordained to receive his healing. He may have been out there asking for money. But trust me, anybody who's begging would rather be working. Amen? I'm talking about deep down inside. People don't want handouts. They want God created man to work. And that will never be erased from humanity. Now people might receive handouts just because they feel they can't do any better. But when given a real opportunity to take care of themselves, most people will opt to do it. Amen. So Peter and John were foreordained to heal this man. Not Paul, Peter, and John. Amen. Not Jesus, Peter, and John. And so they were foreordained to do these works. What else were, what did they need before they were able to do this work? What did they need? Well, you see it in Acts chapter 2. They need equipping. The baptism in the Holy Spirit. Amen. So when the power fell upon them, the Bible says you'll be my witnesses. So they began to do the works of Jesus, even though they'd done them before when Jesus was alive. But Jesus told them to go wait. Don't do anything else ministry wise. After he was raised from the dead, they had to be endued with power from on high. And so that power from on high came upon them in a different way than it had manifested in them when Jesus walked the earth. Amen. So now they were under the control of the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, who lived in them and who came upon them to give it. And that's how they were empowered to get this man well. Amen. The Holy Spirit came upon them and told them to stop. And minister to that gentleman. The same way God will, the Holy Spirit will teach even each and every one of us who to stop in front of and what to say to them to glorify God and to alleviate their suffering. You're baptized in the Spirit. You need to believe that God's going to use you. You can no longer go on nonchalant about it. You're going to believe God's going to use you. And you got to open your mouth and not overthink, you know, rethink yourself. You know, oh, I should have, when you go and witness to somebody, if they don't receive the Lord, I should have said it this way. I should have said, no, you're his workmanship. You just keep being his workmanship. See, what happens, many of us stop because we don't think it's working out like it's supposed to. You're his workmanship. How dare you criticize the master's work in you. You have to go ahead and do what you do by faith. Every time you're out, think about, God, how can I be used of you? What can what can I do? Who should I talk to? How should I approach these people? Sometimes all you have to do is say yes, say hello to somebody. And then the door opens. All you have to do is smile. Some of us scowl too much. You don't even look friendly. But if you would smile at people... Be engaging and be friendly. It'll shock you how many people will be drawn to you. Amen? God, you know, Jesus drew people from far and wide. Huh? They came to hear what he had to say. Why? Because God, he was God's workmanship. Amen? God made him that way. He makes us that way. Amen? So we can be effective. We can be effective in family members. We're just scared they're going to reject us. You've got to get beyond that. you got to be willing to be rejected for Christ. Amen? So in Acts chapter 9, talking about somebody who's rejected for Christ, remember, we're God's workmanship. All of these people we read about in the Bible are God's workmanship. So in Acts chapter 9, we see the Saul, who's about to have his name changed to Paul. Interesting. He's like an Old Testament and New Testament. He's still kind of working under the Old Covenant. You know, when you came into contact, covenant with God, you got a name change. That's what he's getting. Uh, the other disciples weren't like that. Amen. Got it. There's a difference. Peter was still Peter. You know, Paul, uh, John was still John. Paul got a name change. Why? Because he believed in the old covenant, even while the new was in force. So God had to send him a sign. He works with us as, as we are. You got me? Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, if he found any of this way, that means Christians, whether they were men or women, might bring them bound to Jerusalem to stand trial for blasphemy. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he says, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you persecute. So he didn't have a revelation of Jesus being the Messiah, even. He said, It's hard for you to kick against these pricks. Amen? Amen. You need to claim that for everybody in your household that's not saved. God make it hard for them to kick against what you're doing. They got to be saved. Your word says they got to be saved. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what will you have me do? And the Lord said, arise, go into the city, and it will be told you what you must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood he stood speechless hearing a voice but not seeing anybody. Saul arose from the earth and when his eyes were opened he saw no man but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus and he was three days without sight neither did he eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and he said to the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, Lord, I'm here. And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into a street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas of one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he's praying. And, he, and have seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. And Ananias answers that Lord I've heard by many of this man how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem and here he has authority from the priest to bind all that call on your name but the Lord said to him go your way for he is a chosen vessel unto me. To bear my name before Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. So this is the foreordained work of the Apostle Paul. Hello. He is a chosen vessel. He's going to bear the name of the Lord before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel and he's also going to suffer greatly for the sake of Christ amen all these people that want to get into an entertainer's face and tell him about the Lord don't realize the extent of the call if it happened for Paul it happens for everybody This is the pattern. If you're going to go into high places, God's got to make sure you're not going so you can rub elbows with rich people. Because that's very human to want to do. And you can tell oftentimes the way people talk about it. That they're really, really excited that they get to, Oh, so-and-so prophesied to Michael Jackson. And -and so-and-so prophesied to so-and-so and -and -and so-and-so. Hmm? Michael Jackson's flesh and blood like everybody else I wish he could have lived a better life in God It's a tragedy he lived the way he did And wound up the way he did It's very sad So we just have to understand the nature of the work folks There are many things that Paul had to suffer For the sake of of the, the, the name of the Lord Amen And so he He <clears throat> Paul then gets his sight and then he goes and and starts to begin to try and fellowship with the saints and they're a little afraid of him you got me and so you know uh um I'm trying to think when they did change when his name was changed from Paul into Saul Saul into Paul I can't find it right now but when I get home I'll look it up and see so that you can see that there was a difference in him and a name change and I believe that that was Saul's calling card when he would get into a situation they'll say oh Saul no no. I'm saved. God has changed my name to Paul. From now on, refer to me as Paul. A new identity because the old man dies and there's a new man that comes, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So he becomes God's workmanship as the Apostle Paul. So he has to suffer great things, but he will wind up in great places. And you see even toward the end of his life in shipwreck, he was still called to, to, uh, appear before Caesar in Rome. And so these are, are things that go hand in hand with the call. And many times there are things that are, are tests for us and, and sufferings. Things you have to do without. You know, you just can't get up and do what you want to do. You're his workmanship. We have to stay still long enough to let God work on us. Amen? Instead of got to do this, got to do that. You know, your mind will hop around and jump around to 15 different things. And before you know it, your day is full of all kinds of activities. And you haven't one time thought about who you might witness to for God. Now, we live in that age you can stay on your phone all day long and not think about God you can stay you know or you think about him long enough to get your prayer done and to you know make a little confession but working every day working for God god who needs to know you in my neighborhood who do i need to share christ with you know you know that kind of stuff you you got to do that folks That's sometimes that's a missing ingredient for a lot of what we think we're waiting on. God's waiting for you to let him put you busy doing what workmanship does. Amen. So Paul was chosen for the work God had him do. Turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Let me see what I have down here. Verse 24, let me see. It says here, we'll start in verse 17. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, you know from the first day that I came to Asia after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears, temptations which befell me by the lying in weight of the Jews. In other words, there were a lot of plots against me and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks. Now didn't Jesus say that was what he's called to do? So Paul consistently Proved that he was God's workmanship. Because he consistently fulfilled everything from the first time Jesus talked to him about what he was called to do. He consistently fulfilled that call. He said, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem not knowing the things that shall befall me there except that the holy ghost witnesses in every city saying that bonds and afflictions abide me but none of these things move me neither do i count my life dear unto myself so that i might finish my course with joy and the ministry which i have received of the lord to testify the gospel of the grace see this is all we're here for we're his workmanship. His workmanship. There are many times that Paul was was within an inch of his life getting beaten, cried out to the Lord for help. The saints would come and rescue him. God had to work with him to get a lot of fear out of him so that he would continue to go forth and and fulfill the call of God. Paul was writing scripture as he was going, all of those letters that he faithfully wrote to the church to help him understand the word, to help him understand grace, help him understand the blood, help him understand all of those things that God had revealed to him. He had to do that under threat of his life. And stay focused. You know, some of us, God will tell us to write something and say, well, God, t- give me a book. I got lots of books in me. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I could just slap you. Yeah, you know, some people you just stay away from because they're so religious and so trite. I got books in me. What does that mean? Did God tell you to write? Then write. If it's so precious, why don't you let us see it? Well, I I'm waiting for God's, no, you're not. You don't have anything in you. That's just something to say to try and impress people. You know? It's ridiculous. See, when you're God's workmanship, you don't have what, you don't know what's in you. You don't stand up and boast about what's in you and not produce it. Like it's doing us some good that you're running around with it like you got something precious. If it's worth anything, God'll bring it out of you, trust me. Amen. Sometimes that's why people's ministry dries up until they get certain things done that God's told them to get done, you know, and then they're beating their heads again. I don't know why I can't get no engagements and all that kind of stuff. Oh. You're his workmanship. How do you know you got engagements? Huh? You're his workmanship. So Paul was chosen for this work. He was chosen to testify to the Jews, the Greeks, Gentiles, also to suffer many things for the sake of Christ. Amen? Romans 8, turn there. You have to fulfill the full purpose of God in your life. Romans 8, We'll start in 28. It says, And we know that all things work together for good to them who love God and who are his workmanship, we can say. Who are the called according to his purpose. Who are his workmanship. For whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate to become conformed to the image of his son. That means his workmanship. That he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So he's conforming many of us to his image. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. Whom he called, he also justified. Whom he justified, he also glorified. So you're a total package. You're not lacking anything. There's nothing wrong with you. You can get out and win souls like anybody else. God, if you just commit yourself, God, I'm your workmanship. You predestinated me to do good works. I'm ready. Put me to work. Give me my good works. Amen? And he says, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Me. So I got to get me out of the way. Quit being so busy. Quit being so focused on things that aren't spiritual and get myself in gear. I'm his workmanship. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not freely with him give us all things? So quit fretting about your stuff. Huh? Oh, well. See, a lot of people are afraid to get... I have let go of so many things that in my legalistic mind I thought I had to keep reminding God about this and keep reminding him about that and keep saying, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm his workmanship. I can't tell him what I'm supposed to be focused on all the time so I can receive what I need from him. You gotta accept the fact that he's given already. So you can skip over all of that other stuff. You keep a good confession because you don't want to confess things to the contrary and put your faith over there in the negative. But is your confession making it, you're not speaking anything into existence. I I wish I could choke the person that started that rumor. Because you don't have that power. In fact, you'll notice people in the world have started saying that now. Yeah, you know, that's the politically correct people. That's why they correct everybody's speech. Because they want everybody to speak the same thing, thinking that's the way to make it happen. But they're mistaken. It's a religious spirit and it's a lie. It's something the devil gives them to play with before he takes them to hell. Like all religion. You got me? So it becomes a toy that they can play with. And they talk about your aura and your energy. See, all these words are are uh, perversions of the word of faith teaching. So you got to realize how close we are to the new age people and what they teach and tell each other. Because they'll tell each other, oh, don't keep bad energy around you. Which means you can reject certain people. But we're not allowed to reject anybody as Christians. We have to love everybody. So while they start... You know, gathering themselves together around politically correct speech. The Christian now is trying to figure out how to use his confession to do the same thing they're trying to do. Well, you can't do it because God won't allow it. So your confession is good for what? To build you up. To build up your faith. It's for inside you, not for outside here. God's heard your prayer already. He's already, you've already received by faith what he has for you. So how you can speak something into existence by keeping saying it all the time. But see, the worldly people think that's how it works. Don't get over there with them, folks. You stay where God can, you're his workmanship, amen. God, whatever I get from you is foreordained. What's not foreordained, I'm not getting anyway. You understand what I'm saying? So help me to conform so that I can receive the things that I desire in my heart. You got me? He's not saying you can't have it. And if that's what you think, when you hear things like that, you got to get a better revelation of who God is. He's not telling you you can't have anything. Huh? So don't fight me over whether you keep confessing. I mean, I think it's good. It's better than confessing the opposite of the word. But whether you can push it into existence with your, your confession and that you can't do that. It exists already. It exists in glory. And when you paid the price God wants you to pay, Of your faith and still holding on? Let me see how much you want to confess when the devil starts threatening to take it away from you. Or when he distracts you with something else. See, that's when you need to grab your confession and come back to it. you got to understand what you're doing when you confess the word. You can't just pick up this worldly idea of the more you say it, the more it's going to happen. It's on schedule. It's on time. When it appears, it's on time. You got me? You got to believe God's good like that. You got to believe that. There have been people getting miracles and they knew nothing about confessing the word. They've been getting it forever. They've just been daily obeying God. And believing goodness and mercy would follow them all the days of their life. Let's not get caught up in some legalistic understanding of some robotic God that we can just keep saying and saying and saying. And the more we say it, the more he'll do it. And the more you're not a robot. He wants to plant that word in your heart. Spend more time meditating on the word and hiding it in your heart so you won't sin against him. If you we quit sinning against God, we'd have a whole lot more stuff to enjoy. You'll be able to enjoy him more too. So nothing, in and let me just finish here. It says here, He who spared not his only son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect, It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? It's Christ that died, yea rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Well, it's interesting. So you got a lot of help here, folks. If God's praying for you, if the Lord's praying for you, what else do you need? Who shall separate us From the love of Christ. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, nakedness, peril, the sword? It is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. So we die daily for the sake of Christ. Which means you're going to have to let go of some stuff. (laughs) We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. No, in all these things... We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor thing present or things to come, height, death, any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that's where you want to stay. If you're his workmanship. Find out how to stay in God's love and not drift out, not get to wandering and wondering and questioning and, and all of these things, you know. I, I keep seeing people reporting, uh, these two ministers, I guess everybody must have worshiped them because they're all shocked that they quit the ministry, you know. I'm thinking to myself, they're no better than anybody else with flesh on. You know, why are you shocked? And quit inspecting the carcass so much. Because you'll get trapped up by the same thing. That's the enemy's plan. You get to, but, but these people, it is the same stupid question, uh, what's his name? Uh, Carlton Pearson. How can a loving God send people to hell? Well, people have asked that forever. If you're saved, you ought to know better than to question God's love. You know why? Because if you're still saved, you'd have messed up so many times. You could qualify for hell. You got me? Many people, instead of staying on the road of repentance and confession of their sins and righteousness get off on some stupid road, and they think they got it made because they're popular. It's shocking how many popular ministers fall because they start to think their popularity allows them to challenge God. That's all it is. They're challenging God. Well, God is, is there really a hell and really a heaven? You start questioning that and your salvation's in jeopardy. And that's what the enemy wants. Some things you have to accept. You don't, just because you wrote a couple of books, that doesn't mean you have to have all the answers to life. Just cause you got a church with, with 6,000 people, you, you claim 10, but only really three or four show up regularly. Everybody's got inflated membership roles. But just because you got a lot of people sitting out there listening to you, that doesn't make you big enough to challenge God. See, we're still His workmanship. I don't care if you have small, you have large, you have whatever you have, you're still His workmanship. Your time, the time of your revealing to the body of Christ may not be in your lifetime. Look at all the people who are so much more famous now that they're dead than when they were alive. That's kind of traditional with God's people. You understand me? But don't let that stop you from serving God with all of your heart. And understanding that he's still working on me. He's still causing me to conform to the image of Christ. I'm not perfectly in Christ's image yet. Huh? He's still working on me. Some people don't really get worked on until close to the end of their lives, on their deathbed. Then they'll start saying, you know what? I really understand a lot about, it. I finally got peace with God. Do we care? Just as long as you, as long as God completes His work in you. He's got to complete his work in you. He will find a way to get you to the place that he ordained for you to to abide in. And hopefully that you can do some good works. Amen. Sometimes the greatest work some people do for God is they support the man or woman of God they're married to who serves him. You got me? You You don't know what they're ordained to do. You know, I used to have people want to prophesy to my late husband all the day. He called to the ministry too now, you know, and God calls one, he calls the other. You know, and you just want to slap them. Just take your Bible and slap them and say, here, read this. Huh? Where do you get a pattern for how God calls people? You understand what I'm saying? And they're barely hanging on themselves to what God called them to do. You have to listen to God, folks. I found out when I was first called to the ministry what my husband's role was. And it never changed. Oh, you could be wrong. No, I wasn't wrong about that because it proved out (laughs) to be right. Number one, I knew what God had told me. And number two, it proved out to be right. Amen. So you got to understand God's in charge of you. He's in charge of every Christian. We're not in charge of each other. God's in charge of us. We are his workmanship. You can't expect people to conform to what you think they ought to be. you got to love people. That's your only job. Just love them and quit messing them in their their business. Amen. (laughs) And allow God to take care of people. Because we can't take his place. We may be made in his image, but he's not made in ours. So we have to conform to that. Amen. All right. We'll stop. Father, we thank you for your word and for understanding. Thank you, Lord, that we appreciate that we're being conformed to your glorious image. We love you for it, Father. We honor you. We bless you. We praise you in Jesus name. Amen and amen again. If anybody needs